Nyata, hello. My name is Alison and I pastor a little church in southwest Victoria called Sanctuary and we're based on Peak Warren Country in Warrnambool. Now today I'm looking for good news in one of the Bible's texts of terror. That is a story of Abraham's near sacrifice of his son Isaac. And you'll find it in Genesis chapter 22 verses 1 through 14. So all around the world today, people will be listening to the story of Abraham and Isaac. And the preachers will preach and the teachers will teach that Abraham's willingness to sacrifice his beloved son is a model of faith. And so we too must be called to sacrifice everything for Jesus' sake, even if necessary, our own children. Now, some adults will nod wisely. They'll be thrilled by such demands. Others will feel sickened. They might feel doubtful or even leave the faith. And any children who are actually paying attention will be horrified. They will wonder why anyone would want to worship a God who might ask their parents to hurt them. And this is an excellent question. For the usual reading suggests that God may require the sacrifice of vulnerable people who've been entrusted to our care. And this is why, for example, so many pastors and missionaries have felt able to work so hard and to sacrifice so much of their own children's childhoods. I myself was uprooted every two years as my mother was called to each new church, and it was a process that I found incredibly difficult. And several friends of mine were sent to boarding school as young as four or five years of age so that their parents could work as missionaries unencumbered by the burden and demands of parenting. But is there another way to read the Genesis story? A way that doesn't demand sacrifice? A reading more consistent with the idea of a God of love? Well, I think there is, but it requires us to read the story carefully and think about its context and look at the language. Now, if we do this, I believe we'll find that this is a story which celebrates life, not death, but life. So the first thing to note is that the story was told at a time and in a context where the blood sacrifice of children was normal. It was the right and good thing to do. In the ancient Middle East and in many other cultures, children were sacrificed to appease the gods. Indeed, the abduction and the ritual murder of children by sorcerers and witch doctors still happens in some countries today. We might feel revulsion at the story of Abraham and Isaac and the knife, but we need to understand that nobody hearing it for the first time would have raised an eyebrow. Abraham was doing the right thing called to sacrifice his son, he prepared to do so. Now the second thing to note with this story is the changing name of God, and this change in name is often masked in English translations. The story opens with El, the generic word for God. Now El is the God that everyone knows, the God like all other gods, and it's this God which demands the sacrifice of Abraham's son. But it is Yahweh, or the Lord, who stays Abraham's hand. Yahweh is a personal, relational God, revealed to Israel. And it's a messenger from Yahweh who calls to Abraham and says, Do not harm the boy. 
The third thing to note is that when this God speaks, Abraham does something brave and radical. He listens to this new voice, the voice which tells him not to harm his son, the voice which demands that he act differently to everybody else. In most people's eyes, the good, right and proper thing would be for Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, but he does the harder thing. He comes back down the mountain and he brings the boy with him. And then I imagine he has to try and convince all his neighbours and friends and relatives that he's done the right thing, while they no doubt are terrified that in his failure to sacrifice the boy, God will punish them all. We in this day and age can get so caught up in the shocking thought that Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son that we often miss the point. In his context, the truly shocking thing is that based on new information and a new understanding of God, Abraham did not sacrifice his son. And this is precisely the point. Followers of Yahweh, or the God of Israel, do not sacrifice their children. And this is a major shift in understanding. It's so huge that it's hard for Israel to believe it. And so, as we read in the scriptures, as the history of Israel unfolds, people do fall back into child sacrifice from time to time. But each time, the prophets rage against it. And gradually, the refusal to sacrifice children becomes normal. Abraham was willing to give everything he had to God, and this is wonderful. But what is even more wonderful is that he learned that the God of Israel, or Yahweh, does not want destructive sacrifice. Now this understanding grows and grows in Israel, until much later the prophets reveal that God doesn't even demand the sacrifice of animals. Instead, this God seeks only justice and mercy and kindness and peace. In other words, anything which demands a sacrifice of children or other vulnerable people is not the God of Israel, our God. Instead, it is an idol. Now, it's a good thing that we all get this. Or do we? Well, actually, we don't. We sacrifice children, our children and other people's children, to idols all the time. At the extreme end, some children work in armies and sex shops, sacrificed to idols of warfare and adult desire. Overseas, children slave in cocoa and coffee plantations, and in factories and in sweatshops, growing the food that we eat and making the clothes that we wear. Across the US, labour laws are changing to enable children to work in heavy industry and at night. And closer to home, children have been found to be working in fast food joints. And these kids are all being sacrificed to the idols of capitalism and cheap labour and the politics of an avoidable poverty. In this country, children as young as 10 are being thrown into jail for minor offences and for breaches of bail. Traumatised children are kept in solitary confinement. Indigenous children are targets of racist over-policing and they're all being sacrificed to idols of law and order. Or what else? Children seeking asylum live in the hell of visa limbo, sacrificed to the idols of national sovereignty and border control. 
Autistic children are removed from mainstream classrooms, sacrificed to the idols of normality and political games. Same-sex attracted children and transgender children are turned into political pawns, bullied at school and excluded from churches, and sacrificed to the idol of heteronormative ways of being. Children are excluded from many church services, sacrificed to the idol of well-ordered, quiet and cerebral forms of worship. And don't even get me started on the many thousands of children who were sacrificed to vicious priests and to the power and reputation of the church. At home, children are given the dregs of their parents' time, energy and focus, sacrificed to the idols of careerism and me-time. Children are fought over by controlling adults and divorcing parents, sacrificed to the idols of adult egos and needs. And anyone who's been watching Succession has seen just how horrifically this can play out. Which is all to say we might not slaughter children on stone altars these days, but children are sacrificed all the time to the demands and values of our society. But our God is the God of life, the God who says, do not harm the child. Our God will watch as we lay children upon our altars, but just when it all seems lost, our God will demand that we stay our hand, and we choose. We can choose to act like everyone else, sacrificing children to ideals and idols and our society's rapacious greed, or we can choose to live differently. We can risk other people's approbation and censure. And we can seek to get children off plantations and out of sweatshops and free children from detention and educate and feed all children and honour our own children's needs when work demands escalate or our relationships break down. We can choose to care for the planet for the sake of our children and to welcome all children into our lives and our churches, however noisy or messy or uncomfortable things become. We can opt for the violence of normal life, the life that is a living death, or we can choose for the God of life, the one who demands only justice, mercy, kindness and peace. The one who in human form took a little child and placed him at the heart of things and told his disciples to do likewise. Sacrificing children, it's the default setting, it's the easy option. But if you seek the God of life, the God here revealed to Abraham, you must live differently. You must come down the mountain and face the criticism of the people of the tents, your relatives, your neighbours, your employers, your politicians and your priests. They'll call you a hippie do-gooder, a bleeding heart, naive. They'll accuse you of undermining traditional family values. They'll mock how you raise your children and how you worship work, shop and play. But don't be afraid. You won't be alone. For coming down the mountain, you'll be walking slowly and listening to chatter. For you will be hand in hand with a little child who is trusting you to do as God asks. Amen. Now there's always more to read on our website at sanctuarybaptist.org. And this week you'll find an invitation to bless God via wintry things. These are the words from the Canticle of Daniel. Sanctuary is funded entirely by members and supporters. And if you'd like to support this work, you can make a donation via PayPal. And you'll find the details for this on the website.
This reflection was prepared on the lands of the Pequorong people of the Eastern Ma Nation. It's a land which was taken by force and has never been ceded. It's hideously cold this week, with plenty of frost, wind, rain and hail blessing the Lord. As you can hear, I have a chest infection, just in time for the solstice. The peace of the land, waterways and skyways be with us all. Amen.